Valentine's Day, Jen. Happy Galentine's Day. It's Galentine's Day. It is. I know. That's a nice day. It's, it is a nice day. I'm grateful for you. Thanks for being my Galentine. It's so nice. <laughs> Galentine's Day is so pure. I have I got several Valentines in the mail this year from friends, and I was like, this is Jeez. nice. I didn't send you one. Consider this my Valentine. Same. I'm looking at you in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, you know. What's going on? I don't have anything to talk about. I don't have any banter. No color commentary. I have nothing. I have nothing oh, for you. Oh, come on. I'm just, I got to save all my clever for the book. I'm on <laughs> deadline. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm just tired because it's. I'm a teacher in February, and it's, you know, not our best time of year, Ugh. really. It's a lot. It's a lot. We did a lot on how much of a lot it is last year, last week. So yes, no need for us to go. If forward. you want to talk more about how much of a lot it is, everyone, go listen to last week last week's episode. This year, this month, this day, we're just looking forward. We left all that behind in last week's episode. Yeah. Do you guys have February vacation in the Midwest? Okay, not really. I have a long weekend. I had Friday and Monday off. We so it was Lunar New Year on Friday, so we too had that day yeah. off. I mean, by we I mean my child. Yes. I did I never have a day off. However, when I lived on the West Coast in both California and at my, my brief <clears throat> sojourn in Seattle, there we had ski week. That's what they called it, which is President's Day and the four days after. And it was a week off and everyone called it ski week. I don't know if everyone just at my school. So this this was like Bay Area? And Seattle. People go skiing. Eric, my husband, is from Fresno. And he thinks February vacation is just a made-up thing. I grew up in New England. Mm. And I mean, we didn't call it ski week. We called it February vacation. But everybody went skiing. Right. When we had it. But you do not have this in the Midwest. Like, public schools do not have February? No. There's no skiing here. I mean, Chicago is... Well, you're very flat there. So flat. Almost unbelievably so, frankly. Where's your nearest hill? (laughs) Soldier Field? At Soldier Field, there is a, like... That's where you sled. ...man-made hill. And the kids go there. There's literally... I I was actually interrogating kids today because... Or not today, like this week. I was like, where do you go sledding if you live on the north side? And they were like, Soldier Field. And I was like, oh, okay, of course. Or you can go to, like, Wisconsin. But, like, there's no mountain. I mean, like, there's nowhere to ski for many states, right? More or less. There there are, like, some Midwestern ski areas up in Wisconsin, I guess, is a little hillier. But I don't, I'm not familiar. And then if you go all the way to, like, northern Michigan, there's also some places. But I don't think they're, like... Mountains. We would call, it's like that old, did you ever watch that Hugh Grant movie from like the 90s called The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down down a Mountain? mountain. Yes. And he is in Wales and they like, the the whole town, it's so, this is like (laughs) the heyday of like, put Hugh Grant in a charming British town or Welsh, for our Welsh listeners, I appreciate that it's important that we say Welsh, (laughs) a charming Welsh community full of kind lovable weirdos sure <laughs> and and make millions and that yes. that tiny little movie where like a group of weirdo welsh people carry dirt up a mountain of a hill yeah 
No, I'm pretty sure that's Midwestern skiing is. Who is the Midwestern Hugh Grant? Who do we, who do we put in? Who do we, who carries <laughs> dirt up a Midwestern hill? I'm all like, I don't know. Everyone okay. tweet us. We have a lot of Midwesterners listening, so they'll have opinions. Um, I would say a fun thing to do, though, here is, like, instead it's, like, tubing. So you get pulled up on, like, the inner tube, and then you, like, sled down. And sure, I have we done, have that, too. I've done that business, and that seems more appropriate to the size of hills that are actually. Right. Also the age of people. The age of the person you're with. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my daughter tried sledding for the first time in her life mm. this week. It was, it did not go well. Oh. Which actually I sort of feel like a bad parent because like she's seven. Yeah. How have we not put this kid on a sled before? Um, I'm a, I'm a bad New Englander too, but we live in a city. Yeah. And it's a hassle. You guys, it's a hassle. It's a hassle. To put a child in snow pants (laughs) to walk a mile to the park with a sled in the cold. No. And then, like, you get there, and they have to pee, or it's too cold, or their gloves are wet. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not fun for anyone. Okay. Here's (laughs) a—it's—it was not—I did not participate in this, and it was definitely not fun for Mr. Reed's romance, but when Little Romance was very little, like, four or five— He went to nursery school in the neighborhood, and Mm -hmm. my husband would, like, sit him on his sled, and then he, like, attached, like, a a rope harness, and he would, like, walk, and Little Romance would just, like, sled behind him. Adorable. The cutest thing, and I know it was miserable for my husband, but every time he would, like, gear up to do it, I would just be like... (laughs) Look, you sign up for certain things as a parent. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but, like... Way better than trying to walk with him in the snow. Being a sled dog is one of them. <laughs> oh, the indignity of parenting. It's so oh, real. Oh, God, it's terrible. Anyway, so winter sports. Well, there you go. That's bantery. Yeah. I forget where, I forget how this even came to be a, a conversation piece. You can do a lot of good but, ice skating here in Chicago. There's oh, yeah. Good ice skating. I know. mean, I imagine you're all basically Olympic level ice skaters. I mean, I'm not, but there is also there's an ice skating ribbon. So you ice skate around on like the little pass instead that's of just so, like oh, a rink. That's so nice. And it's like right that in the seems city. Really civilized. Yes, it's so it's actually it's terrific. It's super like fun. real Victorian shit there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like that's the thing I just don't even know. Again, we talked about this a lot. Like city living is all about like this wackadoodle shit that they are bringing back and it's like yeah like the ice skating ribbon did you ever read those lux books by anna godberson oh yeah sure which i really adored so if you haven't read the lux series it's gilded age ya gossip girl it's oh the covers the, the original covers, covers are, are so lush they're like they, those are cover designs that understood that what we wanted was a big, fluffy fucking dress on the cover. Giant dress. And I remember, and maybe we can find this for show notes, but when that first one came out, the Lux, and it had that beautiful pink dress, they also released, like, simultaneous this, simultaneously this video of the girl in the pink dress, like, walking, like, through. And she just looked stunning. I mean, it was bananas that can book. i tell you something very depressing they have rejected that book and it why is trash now why 
Look it up right Who now. Who do I? I'm writing a strongly worded letter. Like, seriously, it is. I, I, Who do I call? <laughs> I understand it's marketing. I don't Ron, have opinions anymore, but never has a rejacketing been as tragic as this one. Ugh. Look it up right now. Go ahead. Ugh. I Go ahead. Want, all right. I'm going to do it. I'm no, it. listen. One of those, it's like a TikTok reaction video. It is. Here. Only I'm the only one seeing it. You're all just going to hear it. I'm like just waiting. Oh my god. Sarah. Oh my god, why? It's there's awful. no dress on this cover. It's tragic. It's just words. Tragic. Why it are there is. words on this book cover? I'm all like, you took this beautiful person off the cover and just put letters on. Wait, what are they trying to comp it to? Now we've gotten down a rabbit hole here on the podcast. I welcome to Faded Mates. <laughs> Sorry to do that to you. I looked, I don't know why I was looking it up the other day. Covers, man, in 2021. (laughs) Covers in 2021 are gonna give me another aneurysm, is what they're gonna do. This is terrible. I object. I do too. I'm sorry. Anyway, but my point about this cover, why were we oh, in the Lux, Anna Godberson, who lives in New York City and is a total delight, by the way. Wonderful. Um, like a lovely person. She wrote a like old timey ice skating scene in Central Park. And it was so old timey and extra. And I feel like that's what this, you know, skating a ribbon around the Chicago, you know, Gold Coast is. Honestly, it's all that's real. And I'm going to put in a video because I'm sure there are some. It's amazing. I love it. All right. I've written... One ice skating scene in my 13 books. And I feel like that's plenty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. I'm not a very good ice skater. It's okay. No, me neither. So, okay. <laughs> Let's like, move forward from here. I Jen, what are we doing this week? Well, first we're going to say welcome to Faded Mates. Mm. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm a romance reader and writer. That's not usually what I say, is it? But it's fine. Yeah. I read romances and I write. Let me do it again. There you go. Let me really nail it. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romances and I write romances. You know Eric's going to leave in the original. I know. I sound like a ding dong. (laughs) Hey, no, it's February. We're all just trying to live. Here's what we are thinking this week is we know that lots of folks have watched Bridgerton. 82 million households. Yes. Lots of folks was people. Me. I keep seeing people online go like, it's 82 million people. And I'm like, no, no, it's households. Like, yeah, my husband has also, I am one of those households and two of us have seen it. And my daughter, to be honest, has seen <laughs> The first minute and 40 seconds of Bridgerton about 60 times because she keeps asking me to show her, quote, the show with the pretty dresses. Yeah. And we, so we watch the beginning right up to the part where Anthony is like about to fuck an opera singer (laughs) against a tree. And then I stop it because I feel like even at seven, (laughs) you, what you need is like a Bridgerton supercut of just the dresses. I do. There must be one online. Of course. Because it is fantastic. So, anyway, 82 million households. Yeah, sure. And what we were thinking we would do is we had a um, episode kind of about families and romance, which would maybe appeal to people that we did back right when it dropped. 
Um, but today we thought we would instead pull out some very specific tropes that maybe happened in the show and recommend a romance or two if we have them that has a similar trope. Um, we are going to stick to historicals today. It's historicals for everyone. And we are going to, um, I don't know, put a bunch of books in your ear holes. Yeah. I like recommending historicals. Yeah. I feel like we don't do as many historicals as we do contemporaries, so this is nice. Yeah, exactly. It is nice. All right. You want me to start? You want I to start? I want you to start. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to do... So, so we have some really niche recommendations. Yes. Like, oh, you want to start niche or you want to start broad? Uh, I think start niche, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or do you think start broad? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're going to start... Uh, hmm. Let's start middle of the road. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So let's start with sexy parties where orgies happen. (laughs) I mean, hello. On my note, I'm going to show this to you. It says sexy parties where orgies happen with painting Bridgertons because did I show you ever the, have you seen the video? Did I send to you the video um, with the, with the guy who does the like, recaps of series himself. Oh, yes. I know you're talking about. We will link to this in show notes, too. But at one point, he pretends to be Benedict and Colin, and he says, I'm a painting Bridgerton. I'm a nice gap here, Bridgerton. And I am Bridgerton's yet to come. (laughs) Oh, it's Anyway, it's actually, it's a delight. Anyway, so the point is, sexy parties where orgies happen with painting Bridgertons. Um, So I have two picks for this. The first is uh, Diana Quincy's The Duke Who Ravished Me, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah. But I think this is such a fun comp to this because, first of all, Diana's a great writer and her characters are exceptionally funny. And that's what you're really looking for, I think, in a Bridgerton comp. Um, and some of these will will be less funny. So right. I want to start with with something a little bit lighter. So the premise is that this particular Duke is like, a proper rake and not like Simon Duke of Hastings rake. Like this guy (laughs) has a literal sex room in his house. And there you go. Filled with like sex toys, sex swings, sex people. (laughs) (laughs) And he has this like battalion of like friends who come to his sex parties. And he's, like, known for this. Like, he has this a giant sex swing in his ballroom or whatever. And then, like, one morning... (laughs) What? His ballroom. (laughs) Sorry, I'm fine, everybody. Just takes on a new meaning. If that's what the sex swing is, that's all I'm going to say. And one morning, the doorbell rings. I don't think they have doorbells, but whatever. There's a knock at the door. What I, I don't know. Who knows? The doorbell rings. I think they do have doorbells, actually. And he's, like, drunk or, like, no, he's not drunk. He's hungover from his, like, sex party the night before. And his butler comes in and is like, hey, Duke, there's a person here. And he's like, I am hungover from my sex party. You handle it. <laughs> and the butler is like, no, you don't understand. There's a woman here, and she has twin eight-year-old girls with her, and they're your wards now. Like, you've inherited these twin eight-year-old girls. <laughs> and he's like, well, this is not great for my sex party's <laughs> schedule. 
<laughs> so sure. he suddenly becomes the, like, guardian to these two girls, and they're, like, very, very buttoned-up governess. And they they kind of upend his whole, like— sex party life and like at one point they get they get into his sex room and they like discover the sex swing and they think that he's just this cool like, this is the coolest house because it has a swing like installed in the ballroom and it is it is laugh out loud funny oh my goodness anyway so that's my pick for sex party where orgies happen um, but also, I want to give, I want to name check a uh, friend of the pod and friend of me, Sophie Jordan, um, because she has a great series that revolves around a, a pleasure club call. And the book that I like the best in it is uh, The Scandal of It All, which is a slightly older heroine, younger hero. She's in her mid-30s and he's in his late 20s. And uh, she, you know, her. she has a kind of wild child friend who convinces her, she's a widow, who convinces her to, like, cut loose and go to this pleasure club with her. And when she's there, um, she's, like, watching a sex performance and discovers that the person next to her is um, the hero who also happens to be her stepson's best friend. That's and it is right there. so yeah. it's like really like taboo and set and he's of course had the hots for like his best friend's hot stepmother for his whole life and so it's like this perfect yeah meeting of intense sexy people i would very much like you to just let me mention daring and the duke right now oh right which uh grace our heroine owns a brothel and um you know, sexy things happen there. Like a ladies' pleasure club. A ladies' There's, pleasure club. There are parties. Yeah. It's a sexy, there are sexy parties where orgies happen with painting yes. Bridgertons. Absolutely. There are no right. Bridgertons in my book, unfortunately, but like pretend. You could sure. pretend. You could pretend. Yeah. I mean, it is. Um, there are threesomes, though, for sure. Obviously. Obviously. Of course there are. Not with any of the main characters, sadly. Sad- but. Sadly, not with any. I feel like Grace, well, no, Ewan would lose his mind, probably. But, like, I feel like I've definitely written characters who, like, would be down with. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bringing in a third. Ralston, I think, for sure, was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Ralston would do. There's nothing Ralston hasn't done. Obviously. That's why I love him. The absolute cad. Hmm. Well, (laughs) let me just think about that for a minute. Okay, I'm fine. All right. right. So, let me jump from that to, um, okay, one of the, th- speaking of Benedict, I think there were, if you were like. Benedict is my favorite of those white brothers. <laughs> Absolutely the I mean, same, like, right? I'm sorry, but they are all the, they all look the same, same to me. Like, yeah, for sure. Uh, apologies to Tessa Dare and Jody Pico, who like can tell them apart. <laughs> no. Benedict for sure is the best one in on the show. And one of the things I was thinking about is, okay, so if you loved, like, the strong family ties of Bridgerton, but you wanted Benedict to find, like, his true love when all the shit goes down, then the book for you, and I feel like I've talked about this book before, too, but I love it, is Band Sinister by K.J. Charles. Yes. I don't care if I've talked about it before. This is literally one of my... It bears repeating. ...favorite romances of all... Like, all time, I would say. This is, like, a a hard favorite. So, in this book, um, 
the guy and his his sister Amanda live next door to like the rake of all rakes, Sir Philip Brookwood. And she is out riding and she like falls from her horse and like breaks her leg. It's real nasty. And of course, if this was the setup in any other, in a like cishet romance, I guess, she would fall in love with Sir Philip. But instead, Guy falls in love with Sir Philip. And Sir Philip has a like crew of like buddies that everyone calls the murder. And they are like the real. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> stop it right there. I love, first of all, I love a plural noun, like a plural, is that what it's called? What do they call collective? A collective collective noun. It's called. I fucking love it. Yeah. A murder of rakes. Murder. They're atheists and rakes and they do rakish things all over town and with each other. And of course, Guy and Linda are like essentially I mean, it's kind of like they're enemies, you know, the families have done each other wrong somehow, and, you know, they are really pretty destitute. I mean, I think it's really interesting, like, and, and, but you know what, Guy is so devoted to his sister and, like, wanting to take care of her that he essentially understands that they have to move to Rookwood Hall because she cannot be moved. She's too sick. And this is when Guy is really, like, exposed to the murderer (laughs) and Sir Philip, and they fall in love, and it is amazing. And they murder all over. Oh, fuck yes, they murder. Murder is a euphemism here. (laughs) You guys, this book is, it's like, this is is one of those books why when, when people, like, want to use sweet to mean, like, chaste. Yeah. I'm like, this book is so sweet. No. Also hot as hell. Yes. But I think the whole, like, the family dynamic is really strong in this one. But, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because, Well, yeah, there's such great. a devotion, like, you, you yes. nailed it. It's that devotion to the sister that moves the story forward. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's something that um, historical often kind of plays with it's a it's an easy motivation for characters and historicals especially because we're talking about like often women who don't have a choice right 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 right. they have their brother or their father or their you know husband the other thing I really liked about this book is and I think this is also what kind of made me think of like Bridgerton is when Benedict goes to the party and he, like, sees the orgy and he sees the painter friend with another man and then, but, like, also with his wife who maybe mm-hmm. knows what's going on, we see this sense of, like, Benedict really, like, being exposed to, like, new ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Not just salacious stuff, right? But just, like, really, like, the world wasn't what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And and we see this. Like, guys, sit, there's a great scene where they're, like, sitting around at the dinner table and essentially he realized, like, when they talk, they don't believe in God the same way. Like, they talk about atheism, and he is shocked. And it really is such a great way of showing, like, it's, it's a you know, it's, oh, this book is so good. Well, I mean, yeah. KJ is surely right. one of our best. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Without question. Yeah. So, I think it's, that's it, too. It's not just, like, sexy ha-ha. It's, like... I mean, it's sexy, but also, like, I'm really forced to think about myself, my relationship with my sister, who I am in the world, what England is. It's, like, mm-hmm. all of it. It's the whole package. It mm-hmm. really is. Yeah. So I had a lot of trouble picking one for each of these. I'm going to do an obscure. I'm going to do a more niche one now. What's that on your head? What's that on your head? 
so I want to talk about uh, those stunning wigs. That's my category <laughs> for this one. Amazing. Because part of the yeah. sheer joy of watching this show is the costuming yes. and the wigs, um, the hair, except for Daphne's hair, which is those unfortunate bangs. Those bangs, I know. But, I mean... I'm sure I I imagine they are period appropriate, but surely, you know, was there no one, uh, no one in Almax could tell these girls to cut their bangs <laughs> different. I don't know. That's a mystery. <laughs> Foreheads were so sexy. <laughs> not on Daphne though. It's fine. Uh, apologies to Daphne for your hair. Um, but the, anyway, but the queen, I mean, Queen Charlotte. Oh yeah. Her wigs are Stunning, like magnet. I mean, clearly works of art. And actually, I follow the wig maker on Instagram now. We'll put links Ooh, in show notes. Okay. And I just saw a video about. I watched this like long form video about like the meaning behind all the wigs, which is really interesting. So cool. Um. So anyway, if you love the wigs, it feels like so. Re- fun fact: like Regency didn't do wigs. Right. Wigs were out by then. It was Georgian, right? It's no. a Georgian thing. Yes. Um, but I mean, presumably like in court, right. Queen Charlotte would have been wearing wigs, but normal people, every sure. normal, normal people like Dukes, <laughs> hey, sure. normal, nor just your regular average billionaire aristocrats weren't wearing wigs. Um, so, but Eloisa James writes historicals in the Georgian period. And one of the things that I think uh, Eloisa gets a lot of credit for, and deservedly, is bringing a kind of aesthetic to romance that is, that somehow makes, like, wigs and, you know, elaborate dress uh, on both heroes and heroines, on men and women, on all people, um, sexy and interesting and cool. And so what I think is really fascinating is the way that Eloisa uses her knowledge. I think she's just fascinated by um, costuming in general and the history, like historical fashion. Um, But she uses her vast knowledge of wigs and fashion in all of her books. And so I just want to check the Duchesses series, which begins with Desperate Duchesses. And all of these covers have magnificent, you'll see mm-hmm. them in, well, I'm sure there's one on your podcast right now. We'll put it in as the image for this, but also um, we'll put them in, in show notes, but these magnificent wigs are on all the heroines on the covers of the books. And then in the books, the wigs are intricately described. I mean, everybody's, all the women wear these like magnificent wigs. Um, And I do just want to call out an affair before Christmas, which is the Christmas book of the series. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a very famous wig scene in that book (laughs) where animals are actually living in a wig because (laughs) the way these wigs were constructed were like cages and horsehair. And if like people weren't taking care of them, that's a good house for a rat. (laughs) So, I mean, which is... That's amazing, Look, a lot of people also like kind of... Eloise is also one of these writers who does not shy away from, like, the kind of grosser realities of makeup and hair and clothing in these periods. And But there is a moment—an the, the affair, affair Before Christmas is the one where um, there are rodents living in a wig, and it is shocking and also kind of a delight to read. So that's my 
comp for those stun- stunning wigs. I don't even know how to follow that up, but I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am going to do um, a main character doesn't want kids. Ooh, good one. Because especially in we historicals. We don't see it often. Yeah. Well, and I'm actually going to talk about Wild Rain by Beverly Jenkins, which came out just this a week. week ago. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, I think, plays out a little differently. So you have, uh, you know, the sort of, I no heirs because men are victims of the patriarchy too. And this is the way they put a stop to it is what we see in The Duke and I. But it plays out differently for women. And in Wild Rain, um, Spring is a character who... Oh, God, this book's great, everybody. This book is just so terrific. I interviewed Miss Bev last week, and I'm going to tell you it was, like, kind of thrilling. Like, I was like, oh, my God. At some point, it I was, was like, awesome. We'll put I kind of can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, she's it, a rancher. She's a Wyoming yes, rancher. Yes, she's a, a Wyoming rancher. rancher. A lady rancher. And I don't necessarily want to spoil it, but she has, um, she was raised by her grandfather, who was a... Her, the way he showed love was just very different. And he viewed taking care of her and her brother, and he was the hero of Tempest cult, I think. Um, you know, at some point he was just like, I'm tired of raising these kids. I mean, same, dude. Right. <laughs> and he wants to essentially, like, Colt goes off to medical school, and she's like, I, and he's like, I just want you to marry somebody so I don't have to deal with you anymore. And she refuses. And what she does to essentially, like, once she's out on her own, I think is um, just a testimony to her strength. And, but now she's in her, you know, then she like saves up money and she buys her own land and she basically refuses to forgive her grandfather because he put her in that situation. And, um, you know, she was real wild. She had these like wild years. And now she's in love with Garrett, who's a newspaper man who's come out to Wyoming to, you know, interview sort of Colt, one of the few black doctors in America for his newspaper. And um, they fall in love. It's, as Sarah said before we started recording, it's a meet cute in a blizzard. Who doesn't love that? I love it. And I love the setup where, like, she's oh. so, she's so competent. I mean, all of Beverly Jenkins's heroines are deeply competent people. Of course. And yeah. often it's the heroes who are, like, flighty and annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is wrong it. with you? Why don't yeah. you know how to use a stove? Yes, oh, exactly. Oh, hey, that's another one. Why don't you know how to use a stove? <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Um, but there you go. The, uh, but the, the meat cute is her, like, organized because it's a fucking blizzard. Yes. And she's, she's not like, just driving out into the middle of nowhere. Right. Without being prepared, and this dummy has been thrown by his horse and is gonna die. Yes, <laughs> she's like you, dummy. Well, so here's the thing, though. Back, so she does not want to have kids, and he does. And it's a a little bit of a spoiler. I, I don't think it's a spoiler because she's using sponges. But like when they finally have the conversation, um, I don't really want to spoil it. But it's just like very matter of fact. Like I don't want to, and I'm not going to, and this is not a discussion. And it isn't because of any tragedy. It's not because of, it's just who she is and what she wants. And I mm-hmm. think that um, it is a, a so refreshing to see it in a historical and so refreshing to have um, it be something like he just needs to figure out. And um, I really, really loved it. And I think it will mean a lot to a lot of readers. Yes. Agreed. All right, uh, 
have two more. Niche or, or let's do broad. Let's okay. do gossip columnists. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Because so I have a few. I'm going to go quick. I yeah. really cheated, as per usual with interstitials. I cheated. <laughs> okay, so gossip columnists, obviously, the entire Lady Whistledown conceit is the cornerstone of the Bridgerton series, at least the first four books, right? Um, and certainly, who is Lady Whistledown felt like a real important piece of the show. So, um, gossip columnists. I, my picks are, I have three. My first pick is Forever Your Earl by Eva Lee. And the heroine is a gossip columnist. This is, this is uh, Eva's first historical. I didn't realize that until today when I was looking up um, the character names of this <laughs> book. Um, but it was her first histor- historical. And the heroine is a gossip columnist um, whose favorite subject, so she runs like a gossip rag, and her favorite... Her favorite subject is this Earl who um, is a proper rake, like another mm-hmm. another rake. And she just loves to write about him. She thinks, you know, he's just good fodder and he and he sells paper, yeah. which is, you know, important. Right. So, and he is on the hunt for a missing friend. One of his friends has gone missing, and he's pretty sure that he's got that his friend got into some like real bad stuff. And he needs to find this friend, but he realizes that this meddling gossip columnist, if he doesn't take her in hand in some way, she's going to figure out, like, she's going to basically blow open what he's trying to do. And so he decides to essentially keep his enemies close. And so he gives her full access Access. to his rakish life and his rakish club and his, you know, rakish people. (laughs) And she's like, well, I'm definitely doing that. And then she, then of course, like the question is, when is she going to figure out what's, what he's really up to? And when she does figure it out, there's going to be trouble. Um, But there's a lot of banter in this book and it's, you know, Eva writes really sexy sex scenes and it's a really delicious book. So there's that that one. Then I want to call out Lydia San Andres for uh, a summer for scandal which is part of her Arroyo Blanco series. And that's set in a fictional town, in a fictional, on a fictional island in the Caribbean that is kind of a read-alike, for lack of a better term, of Puerto Rico, the DR, Cuba. It's sort of, she has an author's note that places it in that space of the Caribbean. Anyway, it's set in 1911, and the heroine uh, writes... Romance novels, essentially. I mean, they're not entirely, they're not necessarily um, articulated in that way, but she writes romance novels. And the hero... But under a pseudonym, right? Under a suit, of course. Yes, of course. Under a pseudonym. So, um, and the hero writes, he's having, he, like, is has writer's block (laughs) on his, like, fancy... Like, literary literary novel. So, to pay the bills, he's created this, like, gossip rag slash review journal that is, like, where he just shreds books, like, for kicks, which is, you know, Like a a pre-Goodreads. Ruben discovered Goodreads, As a writer, I'm just going to say, what the hell, dude? (laughs) You deserve, like, at the beginning of this book, it becomes clear that he's doing this. And I'm like, this 
this dude deserves cold storage from this point. <laughs> Listen, he couldn't have a podcast. There's no social media. What was he supposed to do? <laughs> anyway, so he, so she writes under a pseudonym, and there's this great. It's really meta in some ways. Like yeah. she has, the heroine has a lot of these, com- a lot of conversations about why she chooses a pseudonym as a woman, as the way the way that the world treats writing by women, the way the world treats writing about women, like writing that is more emotional, um, romance in general. So it's really it's great, but then also, of course, there's this issue of like who runs this gossip rag, and then like you know, how it's all going to come come together. So, and they are, it's enemies to lovers, yeah. rivals to lovers. Right, sure. Um, so that one. And then Megan Frampton has a book called What Not to Bear, which is really, Megan writes Ugh, really. so charming, yeah. Of all of the people that I am recommending today, I think probably the most read-alike to Julia Quinn, if you are a Bridgerton book fan. yeah is probably Megan. Um, the books are light and funny and, and confectionery. Yeah. And that's... agree. And that's, I think, what we come to when we... That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a Julia Quinn novel. Anyway, What Not to Bear, B-A-R-E, um, is about a <laughs> fashion disaster um, who is asked by her... Whose friend... Um, is, uh, writes a column of secret, like a, you know, an unnamed column called the fashionable foible. And it's like a fashion column where, where it's, you know, she makes recommendations and advice for women and for, for women in the Mm -hmm. Regency to, um, you know, to dress better and to, put on a better face. And the friend has to leave for romance reasons. And so she says, hey, I have to go for romance reasons. Would you mind writing my column? And the main character, who is a total nightmare of clothing, like knows nothing, <laughs> sartorial nightmare, um, is like, uh, I'm not really, what? I'm not sure you want me. My but person. she does it anyway, because fine. And, of course, she ends up kind of matched with um, this hero who is literally referred to as Mr. Gorgeous by the Like ton. Mr. Big and, and Sex and, and the City. I know I'm dating us, but fine. She inherits, she has the unfortunate name of the Abomination. <laughs> and so, of course, it becomes like the Abomination of Mr. Gorgeous. And there's the the fashionable foible becomes, you know, the 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 paper that where everyone starts to sort of see that, you know, it starts to unravel when she starts to reveal herself in these columns. Um, So I think it's a really fun book. I think Megan is a really fun author for those of you looking for read-alikes for Julia. And uh, that's my third pick. Okay. So my next one is uh, a woman who goes into our wedding night and knows nothing about sex. (laughs) So... (laughs) Sorry. What's all this about then? <laughs> yeah, like, what's about to happen to me, question mark? God, right, virgins. Yeah, the my, the my Body book for <laughs> a, for Regency babes, right? And this, the 
<laughs> and I think a great take on this is from Rebel Carter, and the book is called Heart and Hand. This book's so She's great. so good. And this is, it's, it is a historic, it's an American historical. And what happens is, so Julie. Yeah, but oh my God, the whole thing. <laughs> Listen, it's so great, everybody. So it's, Julie. Um, go on. I have a, I have a joke, but I'm going to do it at the end. Oh, perfect. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Julie Baptiste is our heroine and she, um, answer, she is a, an heiress, one of the 400 in New York or 400 families, whatever that thing is. And because <laughs> you know, I'm not obviously that whatever. I don't really understand it's it. Fine. Whatever. She doesn't fine. wear wigs. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> she, she, you know, she went to Vassar, she's educated, but she's just really like, you know, feeling the edges, the bars of the cage there in New York. She doesn't like her, her what her life will be. Sure. So, it's hard to be an heiress. Of course. So she answers a letter um, that is actually the f- kind of the opening of the book, essentially like saying, um, you know, I'm looking for a mail or a bride, but, you know, be a teacher in the town and be my mail or bride. And there's there's something a little else, but you got to write to find out what it is. That, I love the framing of it. The like yes. particulars of the arrangement will yes. be discussed, we'll be discussed in, in <laughs> via letter. And so we get like she's been and then it sort of picks up. She's been writing for six months and she says, tells her brother, I'm going to go marry this guy. And he's like, oh, my God. God, where like the wilds of Wyoming, and she's like Montana, and he's like even worse. <laughs> and so she gets on the train, and she ends up in this town, and um, Forrest and Will pick her up, and it's then that she we realize that she is known for a while that she is not marrying one man but two, but she really doesn't actually know what's going to happen. <laughs> And it's amazing. Like, and it's these, the way Rebel, like, tees it up is it's like there's this scene where she's like, she wasn't even really sure what happened when there was just two people. So it would be kind of interesting to see what it is with three, <laughs> you know? And, and you know, she gets, like, some pieces of information from her mother, who, of course, only knows she's going to marry one man, and some pieces of information, some friends who'd been, you know, but it's like that once they're all in bed that, you know, that first, their wedding night, she's really, it's like so tender, like kind of embarrassed. She's never been naked before, and she feels so vulnerable, and it's just, oh, it's so great. I don't know. It's just a great, great, like, sort of, like, what would it be like to to be vulnerable to your mail order husbands. Mm-hmm. The book is terrific. It's it's great. It it's, is the first of Rebels books that I read. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. Yeah. You know, fun fact, Rebel is published by somebody I know in England who lives in England. And when I got to, when I was in England last summer, I went, I, I think everybody knows that everybody who was listening last summer knows that I we took a month off and I went to England. And um, when I was there, she delivered our our my friend my my friend Brittany um, delivered me a bag and it had a bunch of Rebel Carter books in it. And that was the first time that I had been exposed to Rebel. And I was like, they just kept me so happy for you yeah. know a full week of my of my trip. Yeah. So I'm yeah I don't and now I've read. A lot of Rebels books. She's prolific, though. And she's written all over. She's written shifter books, and she's yeah, written... I... So, every month, if you are a historical fan, you should follow on Facebook. It's called the League of Extraordinary Historical Romance Authors. And ev- on the first Sunday of every month, I host 
like a sort of an, I interview a, a group of historical authors and it's always a couple of people who are in the league and then like a couple people and Rebel was one of the people in February with KJ Charles and um, Amelie Howard and Caroline Linden. And it was a terrific and really interesting conversation. And yeah, Rebel it, talked about her process and she just, you know, it's, she just sits down and writes, and it was really interesting to hear her talk about um, her books, and I don't know if, if I can link to it. I think you do have to join that Facebook group in order to see it, but it yes. will be archived there, and if you're interested, just, like, hearing authors every month, it's a great, a great opportunity, and it really focuses on historical authors. Yeah. You know what else I love about Rebel series? That series specifically, the Gold Sky series, um, is it sort of blows the doors off of all of this, like, oh, historical has to be, like, yes. about, it has to be not queer, or it has to be, right. you know, about two people, or it has to be white. Like, Gold yes. Sky is, like, Maynage County, Kansas. Maynage County, like, yeah. but... Maybe 200 years earlier. Yeah, exactly. 100 years <laughs> and earlier. And it's great. My, I really like the other book in that series that I really like is, I think it's called Three to Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually that triad's Daughter. child. Yes. And she's just like, well, I guess I too will have a menage. <laughs> and so you're that's like, how that's how it works. Cool. All right. Yeah. Like, so it's, but it's funny because like this whole town just, sure. you know, it's lives great. their truth. And I it's really... Great. Like it. Well, and Rebels, Rebels writing is really, um, there, there are some people where, and I was talking about this with Beverly Jenkins too, like you just sit down and all of a sudden you're 70 pages in. Yeah. And I feel like writers just like pick you up and pull you along and you're, you're on the ride, but it's so smooth. And Mm -hmm. Rebel is a great writer. And it's, it, anyway, the whole like, I just loved her. I loved Julia, Julie, sorry, for just being like, yeah, this is what I want. I'm not sure what it's really going to be like, but I've fallen in love with these two men via letter. And so I'm sure that whatever mysterious thing does happen in the bedroom, it's going to be fine. I love it. It's Um, great. Okay. So my last one is a niche one that is sort of, it's adjacent, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but everybody loves that spoon gift so much. Oh, God, yes. That I got to talk about Gunter's. <laughs> so, so many, nobody, like, this is real. When I say niche, I mean, like, this is <laughs> real down the Regency rabbit hole. But they are at Gunter's tea shop in that scene, which is, like, a tremendously famous. This was not a made-up place for by Shondaland. This is a real place. Um, and Gunter's Tea Shop was opened in the 1700s by an Italian immigrant in London who made ice. It made ice, like, flavored ices, which were extremely expensive. If you've read my books, you know ice was very was difficult say, right? yes. to get. Um, it was a big treat if they had enough left over to make them for An you. extreme yeah. treat. And it was on Barclay Square, which, like, now it does not exist anymore. And, like, but if you've been to Barclay Square or, or you go there, it is the poshest place in Mayfair. Um, and so Gunter's was there for many years, for, like, 200 years, maybe longer. 
Um, and you would go, and there was outdoor seating, and there was inside seating, and you would go, and you would get ice, and it was extremely expensive and posh, and only posh people would go there. And so that's where they, that's where Daphne and the Duke are when he does that, like, spoon yeah. make-out. <laughs> sure. I'm fine. Give me a minute, everybody. <laughs> and so... If you love Gunters <laughs> and you'd like to read more books that feature Gunters as a as a location, <laughs> you should read Vanessa Riley's Unveiling Love, which is not a book of Vanessa's that you hear talked about very much, but it's, I think, a really beautiful example of how Vanessa takes the finger, so yeah. to speak. Um, so the way that this was structured, and I don't know a ton about its origin, but it's a four, it was a four-part kind of serial novel. And I, and now it's available complete and you can just get it. I think it's in Kindle Unlimited if you're a KU subscriber. Um, And it's quite dark. Um, And Vanessa's not, Vanessa's a writer who doesn't shy away from the kind of Mm -hmm. realities of being in the Regency as both a woman and a woman of color. Yes. I think her historical... Her historical knowledge is so rich, and it just really comes out in the book that way, which, right? And I think this This, is why you're talking about her in this way. This book, first of all, Vanessa is one of those people who, like, if I have a question about history in the Regency, I will text Vanessa and be like, is it accurate to say this, like, Gunter's was? Mm -hmm. I mean, she knows every little piece, block by block, of Regency history, and it's incredible. She's an incredible has incredible value to the world as just like a scholar. Yes. And then on top of it, so this book, the way that it's structured is um the heroine the heroine has been uh, was abducted and then she escapes or she she comes out of her abduction and she tells her mother that this happened and the mother sends her into an asylum to basically like break her of the instinct to tell anyone about this experience. And then she's married, and this all happens while her husband, who is away at war, um, her husband who is, who, and now the the book begins, and he is back, and he is now a free black barrister um, in London, and she, so, and the heroine is half Egyptian and half Spanish. And so there's a lot, what the book is just packed with these real emotional beats about it's there are moments where it is hard to read because so i just want to like acknowledge that like this might not be for everyone because the husband is now back from war and like they are ha- living happily like they love each other it begins with these two people just like desperately in love with each other at a ball or dinner or something and it's just clear from the that the the heroine is hiding so much from him. She's keeping so many secrets from him. And he can kind of tell that like who she was before he went away and who she is now are two different people, but she can't he can't unlock her because she has been taught like so many women have to keep her true self like guarded. And um but there are really in the the other thing that Vanessa does in really beautiful ways is um she takes small moments and small actions and really makes them she gives them to to readers she gives them to um characters as as like almost talismans so there's a moment so there's a revelation that at some point she was pregnant before 
And when she was pregnant before, um, her husband would go to Gunter's, would take her to Gunter's and feed her lemon ice um, to combat her, like, morning sickness. And then over the course of the book, she gets pregnant. She's pregnant again. And he does the same thing where he, like, the, like this kind of Gunter's at food as love language, right? Right. So, of course, I love it. But it's a really beautiful thing. And this book, I think this book is really beautifully written. And also the four-act structure of it is really interesting for those of you who are interested just in craft. Mm-hmm. Um, because it does really interesting things in terms of, I mean, when we, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the professional yeah. back in season one. But it's clear that, it's clear as you're reading it in one fell swoop that it was originally in pieces. But the pieces each do a really, they're like movements. They do a really mm-hmm. different, they do really different, different character work in each one. Um, I think Vanessa is really a tremendously skilled writer and and this one makes me very happy this book okay i am going to i was really torn about the last thing that i wanted to do Mm -hmm. um we kicked around a couple ideas some we're just gonna ask for help on we're like we should do duels and then Uh, we like yeah come up with a lot of them i don't understand because i feel like i have read twelve thousand duel books sure so we're i'm just gonna say we're we're gonna we're going to do some more research. Maybe we're going to do a dual interstitial. But yeah, the if one, you t- tweet yeah. us or Instagram us or something like your dual yeah. Rex. Yeah. I've written one. We know about me. Yeah. We know a about Joanna Shoops, the lady yes. hellion, the lady, yeah. the lady hellion. There's dual yeah. on page. Right. Well, there's a Elizabeth Hoyt. But again, these are ones I'm like kind of read. I don't really remember. Okay. So then I was thinking, and it took me a while, the entire episode, I've been like, what, what, what am I going to do for... We got caught together, <laughs> and now we have to get married, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a, as Sarah said, basically the enemies to lovers of historical. Like, this is, <laughs> it's such a broad request that it's like, then your your brain goes dark, because yeah, you're like, I can't. I was literally like, which one could I do for this? I said to Jen, I was like, I don't think I've ever written that. Have I written that? <laughs> she was like, yeah, Sarah. <laughs> course you have like it's so right i mean you're like it's a here's a romance novel okay but you know what one i want to do i want to do devil in spring by lisa claypas and i'm gonna and here's why because because we haven't talked about lisa claypas enough this month listen that's how i feel um (laughs) lisa claypas got us got me through an insurrection everybody same so we're all just gonna let me talk about it here's why i love this one so what happens is pandora ravenel is sent out by sort of a frenemy to go, like, the friend's like, oh, I lost my earring out in the gazebo. Would you go look for it? And Pandora is, like, again, one of these girls that doesn't really know anything about anything, right? Although her older sister, Helen, once she figures it out, is like, I'm going to make sure the twins are not this naive. Yeah. So Pandora goes out, and she's, like, looking for this earring, and it's, like, behind, like, a chaise or something, and she sticks her arm through, and she basically gets stuck, and she can't get back out. And along comes Gabriel St. Vincent, son of Sebastian St. Vincent, now the Duke of Kingston, and being, like, a decent fellow, he's like, well, I better help this young lady out of <laughs> the being stuck behind this chair. <laughs> and, of course, at this moment, you know, two elderly gentlemen walk by and are like, well, you're now you're going to have to get married. And what I love about this is... Yes, this whole trope is hilarious and so, like, romance reasons. Yes. Because it's, I mean, 
surely these two dummies could have convinced these two old men. Sure. (laughs) Sure, right? She was merely stuck behind the chair. I was just stuck behind the chair. And and they were like, yes, but, you know, your hand touched her bare skin. You you know, whatever. (laughs) Your eyes flinted across her bosom. And as romance readers were like, yes, Yes. that checks out marriage now. (laughs) (laughs) And But that's what I love about this treatment of it is it's so ridiculous, right? And the thing that I also love about it is that Pandora is like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. This is not the future I want because she has a whole dream of basically making and designing her own own board games. And she's like, look, I have a job. I have a life. I have have to go find a factory where I can make my board games. I'm not going to marry this fucking joker. (laughs) And he, of course, is the most you know, wanted man in England in terms of his, you know, rakish hotness. And Pandora's like, meh, I'm not so sure. So it is, I think, a great treatment of the, like, we're trapped into marriage. And Gabriel is a great character. You Mm -hmm. get a glimpse at Sebastian and Evie as... Which is what everyone wants. Which is, honestly, it's terrific. Um, It's a seaside idol. Like, they go out and, you know, she goes... She ends up going to his home, like the family estate, wherever. And the whole book is terrific. The Ravenels are terrific. And it's just like a... I know, like, I feel like everyone's read it, but... It was delightful to reread. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that's true. I think we might have people listening today who literally like loved Bridgerton yeah. and are just yeah looking for something new to read. So right. Lisa Kleypas. Also, we would be deeply remiss if we did not say the name Tessa Dare yes. in this uh, episode because <laughs> sure. the reality is, is that we picked like very specific tropes. Mm-hmm. But like I said about Megan Frampton being right. kind of a great read-alike for Julia Quinn, Tessa Dare, it's like, I mean, they're like long-lost cousins, right? right. These these right. two writers. Right. And yeah. Tessa's books are sparkling and they're funny. And the relationships between siblings in them and friends in them are mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. And Tessa's a, you know, incredibly, incredibly good writer. And um, like I would say you know, if you are interested in where you go from Julia, Tessa needs to be on your list. Absolutely. I just want to throw in, I, again, don't be mad at me. I don't tell Sarah when I'm going to talk about her book, so she can't stop me from doing it in advance. So I can't tell her now. I know, but if you at all are interested in boxing... Oh. I would well, like to I mean, talk. I would like to tell talk to you about, about boxing. <laughs> I would like to talk to you about many of Sarah's books, but the Casino series in particular is oh shit, it's so good, you guys. Basically, no good Duke goes unpunished. Is there's like a secret boxing ring? It begins in the with a boxing scene. Yes. God. Jen, I got yes. so into boxing when I was writing that series. Like. Really, like, down the rabbit hole on boxing. Yeah. There's, so, something, this is really, I'm going to get real nerdy, and this is not about romance novels, but there are, there is a collection of the best boxing writing in, mm. you know, in ever, yeah, <laughs> in, at right. least in the English language, Um and what's fascinating about it is over the course of however many years, 100 years of covering boxing for newspapers, some of the like most 
the best known names in American literature have have written columns about boxing. Yeah. Um, like Jack London covered boxing for mm. a major newspaper. Hemingway wrote about boxing. Yeah. Like, and I think, and so in this, in this collection, and we'll put it in show notes, there's a lot of discussion about like the way that writers love boxing as to watch yes. boxing because it's rhythm and cadence and the way that the way the the fights move, the way the fighters move, the way the fights happen, it feels like language. Mm -hmm. And I became so fascinated by, like, how you could use boxing to tell a story. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that's my, that's my, yeah, No Good Dude Goes Unpunished is, like, my love letter to boxing. Yes. But Beast, I would also say, right? And And yeah, Brazen and the Beast. Yeah. That scene, the the one of my favorite scenes of the whole Bare Knuckle Bastards series is the scene where Beast is fighting, Hattie shows up. Yeah. And then like he ha- he sees her in the crowd and then Devil is like I got you, Beast. I'm going in. And like all the I envision it the way like you know in um the in yeah. Beauty and the Beast the cartoon when the, like the three ladies like woo <laughs> Yes. It's that moment for yeah. me. <laughs> well, and I would also say, I mentioned Daring Luke earlier, one oh. of my favorite scenes in your books is when Grace gets into the ring. And yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So. Lady yeah. boxing. Lady boxing. Um, anyway, yeah, when those boxing scenes happen in that show, I was like, hang on a second. What's yeah. happening? This is amazing. <laughs> you know, do you ever watch the movie with Michelle Rodriguez as a a boxer as a woman who wanted to box a young woman who wanted to box? No, but I know what movie you're talking about. I cannot remember the name, but I'm going to tell you, this is a movie that I think about a lot. Like, there's a, in particular, scene where she's kind of like... Girl fight. Yeah, like, how do I get better? Like, what is it going to take? Yeah. And he's like, well, now you have to run because you don't have the stamina. Mm-hmm. And and just, you know, that it's it's a and the one with Hillary Swank. And so I also have been really, I don't know, there's something really formative, too. And I, as everyone knows, can I talk about on Twitter? I do cardio boxing every week, like just, on Tuesdays. God, I just love to pretend I'm beating the shit out of people. I mean, there's you know? that. I think there's like there's something really like. There's something. There's something really weirdly superhuman about the idea, like about the the violence of it in some yeah, way. Like, of course. it's a real like stripped down sport, um, which is, I mean, truthfully, like it's it is blood sport. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, the history of it is fascinating like boxing gloves were invented mm-hmm. to make the fights go longer people think mm-hmm. that gloves are designed to like pull the punch they're actually or rather gloves make it harder than bare knuckle fighting but like uh they're not they were designed to pull the punch yeah so that you could fight longer you know so like fighters got hurt a lot more once boxing gloves started to sure. happen because they were in that's uh, so interesting yeah i mean like it's not i, I don't recommend boxing as like a no, <laughs> of course not. Like, it's but, it's not great for people's brains, but, like, there is something... Writers have always been drawn literally. to it. Yeah. So. Anyway, and I love those scenes in Bridgerton. I love watching those two duke it out. Um, hello. See what I did there? Duke it out? I did see what you did Thank there. Thank you. I've been saving that up. <laughs> <laughs> well... 
read some historical romances, everybody. There's so many good ones out there. All right, I'm going to go write a historical. How about that? You should go write your book. All right, friends. So this is Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. My friend Jen reads romances with me. And uh, you can find us at fadedmates.net. We are produced by Eric Mortensen. On the website, you can find everything. uh, Yeah, music, gear, stickers, pins, uh, show notes. Don't sleep on Jen's awesome show notes. If you're on Twitter, follow us at Faded Mates. The it's now um, we're tweeting like fun old show notes from the past. Um, we're also check show notes if you hear music in the show that you are curious about. Check show notes. It'll be in in show notes. The information on the music. And next week we are back with Kate Claiborne. Yeah. To do us another interstitial about retellings. Retellings. Her new book, Love at First, comes out the 23rd. So and pre-order that. Be, right. So because then you'll hear all her talking all about it on the 24th. It's perfect. See how organized we are? And then what are we reading? Mary Balo after that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so our next reading is is a historical by Mary Balo. It's one of my very favorite historical. It's a, it's a short novel. It's like longer than a novella, but it's not as long as a novel. Um, and it's called A Matter of Class. And I cannot stress this enough. Do not read about this book before you read it because the structure of it is part of the joy of reading this book. I'm excited. See you all next week.